Hi, this is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to another edition of Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline Diarty Edwards, the director at Fortuna Admissions and co-founder of that admissions consulting firm and the former admissions director of NCAD, great school in Europe, and Maria Wickvilla, who is the founder of Applicant Lab, Harvard MBA, who initially had a career in media and who was once told by one of the Murdoch sons, don't you dare go for an MBA. It's a waste of time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lucky she didn't take that advice. Good times. <laughs> I'm glad you so we are here again in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak and pandemic. And I wanted to talk a little bit about today who's done really a good job, who's been an exceptional leader at a very difficult time in leading their school and maybe even the business school community in general through this crisis. I have at least one, maybe two favorites that I'll talk about. But Maria, let's go to you for your pick. <laughs> oh, no. So, okay. I do think that Harvard Business School has done a great job on this, but I promise anyone listening, I am not just saying that because I went there. I'm not Aww. getting... <laughs> I'm not That's I'm not okay. getting a discount. There's no discount on my reunions ticket, like nothing. But yeah, I mean, I think as, as I sort of mentioned a couple weeks ago, when we first started talking about this, you know, Harvard has already been thinking about ways to try to replicate that case discussion experience online for their HBX platform. And so while obviously, you know, as you, John, pointed out, not every professor is going to have the ability to have an entire HBX type studio set up in their homes. That having been said, they have had practice with what is it like to run a case discussion in a virtual environment where people are not physically there, but are faces on a screen. And so I do think that the transition has been smoother for for them. I've heard from both students and professors that the that obviously something is lost like when you can't read body language and and you're not actually in a room with people, you obviously are going to lose something, but that overall that the things seem to be working pretty smoothly from a from a learning perspective. So, that's good news. And Harvard, you know, actually was able to make this transition over a two-week spring recess, which I think really helped a lot. You know, they had to train over 125 faculty who had never taught online at all, as far as I know, didn't even know Zoom. <laughs> uh, to do so, they actually created a new position called a facilitator of some kind for online so that every professor was paired with a facilitator who also had to be trained to monitor chat, to deal with troubleshooting when there was a technical glitch of one kind or another. It should also be pointed out that Noria, the dean, agreed not to step down at the end of the academic term as he had planned, but instead to stay on through the end of the year due to the crisis. And they had really, you know, the unusual challenge of trying to replicate a very dynamic, fast-paced, live discussion in an online format where, after all, it's got to be a lot slower paced and it just can't be exactly the way it was before. And I think, you know, by and large, they've done a, a pretty darn good job. I mean, it, the early reports are very positive. They've 
they were able to tell professors that, you know, look, in a classroom that's online, you're only going to be able to convey 75% of your information. So don't overwhelm people. Don't try to do too much. In fact, cut back as soon as you go in. They've also instructed people to try to chunk up the learning, do a lot of polls. In fact, do polls in advance of the class so that you can draw people in on the basis of what the data shows or what students believe a protagonist should do in a case study. So they've done a lot of really cool things. I, uh, I, I like that choice, even though you're from Harvard. <laughs> I promise I'm not biased. I'm not, it's not a corrupt influence on me, I promise. All right, now, Caroline, are you going to pick yes. NCAD? Oh, well, no, I mean, I, I agree. You know, HBS was a leader here, and that's clearly paying off now. I think there are some other schools as well that had invested quite significant amounts in online learning. And, you know, they're very glad that they've done that at this stage. So, you know, I would also mention Ross and then Tepa in Europe, IE, Imperial, and then also, you know, INSEAD had already been doing a lot online given the multiple campus structure, right? You already have cohorts of students working across campuses virtually. So some schools had already invested quite a lot and, and gained significant experience in this dimension. And, you know, that's paying huge dividends now. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, I, I think, it, as we've said, it's been a huge challenge for schools. And, you know, there, there are a lot of staff who are operating in very difficult conditions. I, I know, for example, at INSEAD, the career service on-campus recruitment you know, they switched all of that online, right? All of the on-campus recruitment where they run all these presentations and interviews on campus. They did this massive digital transformation incredibly quickly. So, you know, huge amount of work for the staff and, you know, tremendous dedication that, that they've exhibited in, in making that happen so quickly to serve their students. And then also, you know, great leadership from, from many business school alumni. You know, I've seen communications from INSEAD alumni who have been working very hard, um, for example, to mobilize medical supplies and get them across borders to places where they're needed urgently. So, you know, I, I think it's been very heartwarming to see the, the level of engagement and, and leadership, you know, in many different areas across the business school world. Yeah, that's really true. And in NCAD's case, of course, they had the misfortune of a dean who literally had to be hospitalized yes. uh, with COVID-19. Yeah. And his deputy, who actually led the expansion into North America more recently, yeah. uh, has taken over and I think has done a really good job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has. And they've been working closely together for, for many years. So there was, you know, there was there was no concern about how things would be managed in the interim. Things have gone very smoothly. So I, I, I tell you, I have two and I can't both for different kinds of reasons, actually. Number one, I'm going to say Scott Beardsley, the dean at UVA's Darden School, and I'll tell you why. They were really among the very first schools to notice that this was a dramatic and important change in admissions, not only for the school's existing culture, but for people who want to come to the school in the future. So they were the school that essentially extended their final deadlines by more than three months to July 15th. They were the school that agreed to actually nudge writers of recommendation letters on behalf of candidates. This is a school that said it would accept an SAT, an ACT, an LSAT, an MCAT, or an executive assessment score in lieu of a GMAT or a GPA. And really the guiding principle for all of this 
was compassion, flexibility, and pragmatism. And I especially want to focus on the word compassion. You know, it's a difficult time for a lot of people. A lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are worried. A lot of people are scared. And you pile this on top of anxiety-ridden process of applying to a highly competitive business school. And I think it behooves all of the business schools out there and the leaders out there to show and demonstrate actively demonstrate compassion for people who are going through this process and having to live through this very difficult time. Beardsley, who, you know, is a former McKinsey partner, also did something else. He recognized that by extending the deadline by more than three months, he was essentially creating a new admissions round. And it wasn't just an admissions round for people who couldn't take the GMAT or the GRE. It was an admissions round for people whose lives would be unsettled and upended by the economic crisis that we are undergoing. People who would suddenly find themselves unemployed, people who'd suddenly find their prospects in their existing companies not nearly what they were, and now would want to take advantage of graduate school to set out the recession. And he was really the first to articulate that this is one of the reasons why we're doing this as well, to give these folks a chance to take advantage of an extended cycle to get into an MBA program in the fall. So I'm going to say Scott Beardsley, number one. Number two, you know, I, I look very closely at how deans communicate to their stakeholders what's going on. You know, w- one of the things that we didn't mention, uh, Maria, about Harvard was that Nitten and one of his deans, Angela Crispy, do a daily update for students, faculty, and staff at the school. And by looking at those daily updates, which started, incidentally, in late January, you could really track what the school was doing, what it was grappling with, what advice it was giving to all of its stakeholders. Those messages are incredibly valuable, I think, for the community, and they keep the community connected with each other. But in Harvard's case, they're pretty practical. So I want to I give a shout out to John Levin at Stanford, who's been able to write in a highly personal, intimate way every Sunday. So every Sunday, he does a message to the community at Stanford Graduate School of Business. And even though this is the school where 80% of the MBA population is demanding a refund for the spring (laughs) quarter, and they're demanding an 80% discount, no less, Mm -hmm. his Sunday messages have been a bright spot. The last one he talked about walking his dog and being heartened by an act of kindness that he saw. And Caroline, you're going to love this because he closed his message quoting Queen Elizabeth and her address to the British people. Wonderful. Okay. As he said, you know, he quoted her saying, while we have faced challenges before, this one is different. We will succeed and that success will belong to every one of us. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure Better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. And he says, I look forward to when we will be able to meet again. Thank you and stay safe. If you're out there and you're, you are in a leadership role, you should go to the Stanford GSB website and read his Sunday messages as a model for how to communicate with people that you care about and that you love. So 
that is who I would shout out to, John Levin and Scott Beardsley, for doing such a great job. Now, one of the things we wanted to talk about was, look, there are a lot of people right now who have gotten their admits. These are, of course, round one, of course, but round two at admits have already come into play. And there are two things that should be on everyone's mind, other than the fact, oh my God, is my semester going to begin online or will it begin on campus? I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to begin online. Okay. Just forget about it. Don't worry about it. The schools will come around to this fact and we'll be announcing that the fall semester is going to be online in short order. But my question to you two is, number one, how do you choose between and among the offers you may have when you can't visit a campus, when you can't attend physically an admit weekend? And then number two, I want us to talk a little bit about how do you best prepare to get the best jump start when you do finally get there, or maybe you stay in your home and the program begins. Let's take the first part. Maria, any advice to how to choose between and among offers that you may have? I mean, I feel like I I don't know that this COVID situation should necessarily impact anyone's decision in a radical way in terms of like, well, previously I was leaning towards school X, but now I'm definitely leaning towards school Y. You know, I think the way that you could find out about a campus in lieu of an actual visit is I do think that student outreach you know, outreach to current students is is something that I think all of us in admissions land advocate pretty heavily. And it's it's just as important now. It's even more important now than ever, because I think when students reply to you, right, let's say you email students at a couple of different schools and you say, hey, I'm lucky enough to have been accepted, trying to figure out what I should do, how they respond to you or if they respond to you or how quickly they respond to you. Little things like that are going to start to give you a sense of what is the culture of the school and you know, because the the past is a good predictor of the future. So if a school has let in people who are helpful and warm and generous with their time in the past, there's a pretty good chance that that's who you're going to be surrounded by once you go there. So I think in lieu of other things, I would I would reach out to current students. And I would also look online on YouTube. I know some schools will have like sample lectures or things like that on their own YouTube channels. And so I think that might also give you a sense of who are the different professors, what's the teaching style, et cetera. Okay, Maria, I really like that answer. And I'll tell you why, because it runs counter to what most people do. They go by ranking. <laughs> okay, if I got into school number three and I got into school number five, I'm going to number three. Or they make their decision entirely on how much money a school gave them. Yeah. Right. I don't agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, we 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 talked about the rankings uh, <laughs> recently. I think that those are silly reasons. You know, choosing a school because they gave you more money is like I don't know, choosing who you marry because they have more money. Like I guess people do it, and I I guess it works out for some people, but I'm not sure that that should be the driving. You know, this is something the MBA program that you attend is going to be on your resume for the rest of your life. And it is a network that hopefully you'll make friendships that will last you for the rest of your life. So I try to tell people to not obviously the money is important, but to not let that sway them way too much. And of course, rankings change all the time. If they didn't change, you know, they, ch- they change almost artificially in terms of driving discussion and clicks and and noise. But I I don't think that someone should say, well, this year, this school went from second to seventh. And so therefore, I'm now not going to go there. Like, I think that's a silly, that's a shallow reason to make that decision. Well, Maria, your answer gives me assurance that you are a romantic at heart. You would never marry for money. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Caroline, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I think rankings are, can be a good place to start your research, but not, that's not the place to end your research and take a decision. And I, I've been talking to you know, some of our clients who are thinking about you know, where to go, given the offers that they have. And you know, I do see the admissions rate increasing. I think you know, round two, the, the admissions rate has been higher than round one. And so people are getting more offers. And, you know, some of them are thinking, you know, should I take into account that some campuses may open up earlier than others? You know, which location is going to be better in this crisis? And, you know, I've been encouraging them to take a long term view. Don't try to second guess how things are going to evolve over the next few months, because really nobody knows. Right. It can change overnight, as we've seen over the past few weeks. So take a long term view of the community that you want to be part of, where you feel you have the best fit and it's going to be the best experience for you in the long term and, and have the right credential and the right network and, and the right learning experience for you. So, yeah, I, I would really encourage people to take that decision based on, you know, and often they had they had a gut feel about it before all of this crisis hit. Normally, when they're applying to business school and, you know, we encourage our clients to do as much research as they can before they even decide which schools to apply to. And so, you know, in most cases, they have a pretty clear sense of, you know, the, the ranking of the schools for them and where they want to go. And, you know, I think they should stick with that and not be influenced by the current circumstances. And I should point out that one of your colleagues, Heidi Hillis, just wrote a piece that we published today on how to choose between MBA offers, part one. Yeah. There's more to come. So I should refer our listeners to that as well in terms of making a decision about which place to go to. But I do like feeling out the students and seeing what kind of vibe you get from them is an important thing. How about faculty? You know, if you have an area of interest and you look at the website and you look for a faculty member or two who's a real expert in your field of interest, should you call them up? Should you start that relationship today? Because maybe that's a person who you want as a mentor in your MBA program. Yes. You should call them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you should call them when you're applying. I, no, you know, I sometimes get that, that question. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sometimes people ask me, and I'm like, "Ee, cringe, no." <laughs> but, but uh, once you've in, in fact, I actually was recently able to do this. I have a a friend who is a who is a professor at Harvard Business School who teaches um, public entrepreneurship, which is how can businesses start with government as a partner in mind. And I have a candidate, a client who got into Harvard Business School who does who actually like works in this thing that this professor has written cases on. Wow. So I was like, you guys need to talk because you're trying to choose between a couple of great schools right now. And I can't make that decision for you, but you might want to talk to this professor who has literally been researching the thing you want to spend your life doing. I think that can make a big difference. Really, I, yeah. I really do. If, if you can hook up with a professor who has deep expertise in something that you really know you want to pursue in your life, and make that connection early, that could make all the difference, not only to your MBA experience, but to, you know, your post-MBA career. For sure. I actually, I, I do wish I would have been more, I did not really approach my professors as much as I wish I would have. I mean, some of them, for example, just quickly, they they get hired by companies to consult. That's a big way that a lot of them supplement their income. And so it's not just from the academic lessons you can learn from them, but some of them may have some pretty valuable professional contacts for you as well. So definitely do, don't do what I did. Be smarter about it and leverage those professor relationships. <laughs> okay. Let's say you know you're going to go, even if it's online. 
What should you be doing now? Are there books you should read? Are there groups you should join? Are there online classes you should take? Caroline, how do you best prepare so that when you show up for a program, maybe you don't even have a lead on anyone else, but you're well prepared to start and do well? Yes. So I would say that you know, there's a, there's a lot of networking that you can begin to do. And, you know, that already happened before all of this crisis. So, you know, admits get access to online platforms where they can network with their future classmates, contact students, alumni, and so on. So definitely take advantage of that because you may be online for longer than you think. So, you know, the earlier you can start building those relationships and getting to know each other, the better. I think another area where time is well spent is preparing your job search. And, you know, a lot of candidates have or a lot of people coming into the program have you know, a fairly clear view of what they want to do post MBA. It's well worth spending additional time now on researching you know, the companies that you might want to target and things may change. You know, the recruiting landscape is quite challenging right now. But if you're coming out in, in two years, things hopefully be picking up again. And you can begin to you can begin to network, right? You can begin to reach out to alumni um, from the school who are in positions in companies where you'd be interested in working. Begin to have those dialogues. You know, I think the more the more time you can spend on preparing that now, the better position you'll be in. Sort of hit the ground running with your job search, which you know, particularly for programs that are shorter formats. You know, like INSEAD where I worked you've got one year that goes incredibly quickly. So the more that you can do to prepare that job search ahead of time will be very valuable once you do get started. And then, you know, I would ask the school what they recommend as regards reading. A lot of them will publish lists of, of materials that you can access ahead of time or books that you could get. And there's a lot of material to get through when you, when you start the program. So if you can plow through some of that ahead of time, then, you know, it'll definitely save you some time later on. So that would all be time very well spent as well. Yeah. Maria? Yeah, no, I mean, what Caroline is saying is great. I actually, I've, I've heard from some current MBA students that they are leveraging, you know, they're doing like online Zoom happy hours and Zoom board game nights and <laughs> all kinds of ways to try to make the best of a, of a tough situation. So, you know, if you're a poet and you've had no exposure whatsoever to statistics, accounting, finance, with the exception of just studying for the GRE or the GMAT, should you take, let's say, CORE, uh, which is available from Harvard Business School online and is generally taking a sort of a boot camp experience by roughly one third of the incoming MBAs at Harvard? What do you think of that? Is that a good way to prep? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And there are other courses as well that you can take online at Berkeley Extension and so on. For anyone who doesn't have a really strong quantitative background, you know, it, it will save you some some time and stress when you start the program. So, you know, definitely great investment of time up front so that, you know, gives you a different additional confidence that when you enter those classes, you already have some of the background and it will save you time in, you know, the preparation for your classes and then, you know, just getting to grips with the vast amounts of material that you need to get through in a short time when you do start the program. Any recommended books that you would have people read? I think, you know, ask the schools for the book list and they will give you some some of the materials that, you know, you will need to read anyway. So if you can get those done ahead of time, that will save you time. I mean, otherwise, 
some books that you know I found very useful and, and interesting and I think generally quite valuable for, for someone going off to business school. I, I'm a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell's books and you know I was just reading David and Goliath that very interesting perspective on you know sometimes it's not always the obvious organization or entity that will win in a competitive situation true and how to think differently about competition so you know that's a great one for sort of challenging your mindset and I, and I love Gladwell's approach because he he very much draws on an eclectic group of information i mean it, from scholars and research from every possible field bringing it in to make his point yes yeah, absolutely. Really fascinating stories and anecdotes that he draws on. And then, you know, I think Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, that's, an, you know, another interesting perspective on, sure. you know, different innovative business models and, you know, how you can think differently about starting a company and, and where your market may be. A nod to C.K. Prahalad. <laughs> yes. Very good. And uh, Maria, if you had to pick one book that you would recommend an incoming MBA to read, what would it be? Oh, man. I mean, aside from the, you know, the finance and accounting background that some some of the poets may want to bolster up on, one of my favorite business books is uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. It's actually, I believe it's in Sayad Professors. Okay, it is. Good, uh, friend, good friends of mine. <laughs> well, well, please thank your friend, because when I was coming up with the idea for Applicant Lab, I relied very heavily on that book to inspire me. So tell your friend that it literally like impacted how I, how I did what I did with my life. So thank you to your friend. I love that book. I think it really helps you look at business strategy from a whole new lens. And I really, I think it's a fascinating read. Yeah. I was working with Rene Moborn and Chang Kim when they were working on the book. I was doing Ooh. a project with them and they very kindly included me in the acknowledgements oh. of the book. So. Well, then thank you too then. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Fabulous. All right. We all can use a little bit of inspiration, whether it comes from a book, a quote, or even a trashy TV program. So <laughs> <laughs> so shelter in place, everyone. Uh, Maria and Caroline, thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you two every week. And I hope you're enjoying our weekly podcast, Business Casual. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.